Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of On Air with Rebecca. Now, if you've been enjoying this conversation with former New Age leader Alan Strudwick, guess what? There's more. Today, we're going to be discussing yoga, New Age, deception, and more. Stay tuned. You began to feel a sadness for the deception with the New Age that was leading so many people astray, including Christians. And one of the things you began to realize as you researched, and I just began to realize this myself, is that these gods that they're connecting to are the same gods in the Old Testament. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I I thought, how did I get deceived? That was the first thing. How did an intelligent man get that deceived? And I understand how and what the enemy's works are like. But yeah, I decided to do research. And it was actually three years, but I didn't do it through Christian writers or Christian books. I didn't want the tainting of that. I didn't do it through New Age books. I did it through normal history books. Um, of these, of the different names that existed today that were used, such as Mother Nature, um, other spirits that are around, Mother Goddess, and things like that. Um, even the ones that are in Hindu today, Kali, and um, some of the some of the others that are around. I decided to study their name back, and it would take me all the way back through uh, Buddhism, Taoism, way back to to you know like thousands of years ago. And as I studied the history book, then all of a sudden they connected. And I can still remember that day in the library and it just connected and I went, oh, these are the exact same things as the asterisk poles, uh, Baal, uh, Maida, all these foreign gods are all through the times they went through different countries or different places, they would, the name might change or the, or the description might change, but they're the exact ones that are around today, which is, which is crazy. I mean, even Mother Goddess dire- directly relates back to the asterisk pole. And even Baal comes forward to the things that are happening under the name of abortion or in the name of this today, of child sacrifice. So the the same things are there. And even some of the people, I won't mention who, but some of the people that I knew back when I was in the New Age, actually one of them, uh, a very famous female New Ager, actually was brought in by Hillary into the White House and Clinton in that era to bring forward all of this witchcraft and divination and everything in the White House. And I knew her very well. So I know these things went on and what happened in it. And I know that the, those people were also very involved in bringing in new abortion laws and new this and all these, all these laws that fit with the child sacrifice. Uh, you're touching on such an important point. And I remember when I began to realize this, and it made me think of Solomon when he said, there's nothing new under the sun. And he began to realize the deception is that, oh, they're different names, they're different civilizations, but the it all actually lines up and it all goes back to the same source and it has the same agenda. The issue is, is that today it's more tricky. It's more hidden. They think, oh, this is a political topic. Like, no, yeah, maybe on the surface it's that, but you need to look in behind the veil. What is the spiritual what are the spiritual implications of this? Who is this serving? What is this accomplishing? You know, but once again, this goes back to circling back to discernment. Of course. So in chapter 11 of your book, The Gift of Truth, one of the things you talk about, and this is something I've talked about on this podcast, is a lot of Christians, and they, I mean, they've done statistics on this. They've asked People who consider themselves born-again Christians, you know, do you believe the devil is real? And a lot of people don't even believe he's real. 
What's the deception behind that? Well, the whole reason for it is that if you take away the, the whole thing of an enemy, then you don't need a savior. So you remember our plan oh, wow. was to was to wean people away from Jesus being alive, resurrected, the savior, went for our sins on the cross, all that. As soon as you take an enemy away, all of that's null and void. There's no reason for a savior. In fact, most Hindus believe that Jesus was a prophet, but that's it. You know, there's that new Hindu Jesus, and that and that's that's all they believe. Um, so the whole idea is if you take that absolute out, you have no need for a savior. So therefore, as soon as people start believing that, then you don't have anyone getting saved. Oh, that is such a good point. And then they get comfortable. And, you know, you tap on in chapter 12, you talk about Adam and Eve. They made a decision and therefore came the fall of man. But we're preaching today that, you know, there isn't any hell. There isn't any devil. And it actually sounds like the new age. There is no evil. That's right. You just said it. It's the new age gospel. It was when we had it and we were bringing in, we called it the age of Aquarius that we were bringing in. It's a new age gospel that everybody loves everybody. Everybody is happy. Everybody's this. There can't be a hell. God is so loving. He would never do that. But in reality, we look at what's happening. There's evil everywhere. And that was the thing for me because I believed that, that there was no evil. Then when I, I was like, what do I do with that? I remember watching TV once and the Lord said, watch the news. And I went, I don't want to watch the news. He said, watch the news. I was crying through all of it. It was horrific what I was watching. And he said, that's not me. There is an enemy and you need to find out about it. So that's why I started to read and, and found out that Jesus actually talks about an enemy. A lot of the Gospels talk about the enemy. A lot of the disciples after Jesus was resurrected talked about an enemy, but talked about our victory. That's why Jesus came. says it in, um, in, in, I think it's in 1 John, where the purpose of his coming was to destroy the works of the enemy. So there is an enemy, but that's how I did. And that's why, because if you water everything down, who wants to get saved? They don't even think they need to be saved. In fact, they will think exactly what we thought is that Christians are here for one lifetime and they're very spiritually naive. One of the things you touched on is when God told you to turn on the news and you saw all of this evil and you wept and you were weeping because you were actually seeing God's heart, experiencing his heart, that God hates all of the evil going on in the world. One of the tactics I've seen a lot of the enemy is that not only will the devil make it seem like he doesn't even exist, but then being the accuser, he will point his finger up to God and say, look at everything God is doing. And it's not even coming from God. Exactly. That's the part of the aim, part of the strategy. That's what it is. And I have I have Christian friends now that, that are like that. They think that God's killing people and God's doing this and going, now God will do what he does. But they're, but they're, 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 well, their opinion, if I can put it that way, of God is that he's he's pretty mean and they don't know what he's going to do. So if they think he's going to kill people and then he, then you go to heal someone and they go, oh, I can't get healed because, like, like for example, I'll share this really quickly with you. I'll show you the opposites. The other day there was a person that um, is it possible having cysts on her ovaries. So I, I said I'd pray. And she said, oh, really? Well, she said, that's okay because sometimes death is a healing. And I was like, excuse me, hang on. What do you mean? She meant if she died, she would be in heaven and healed. Now, I understand that, and I agreed with that. When she's in heaven, she's healed. But I said, if Jesus and God were against, were, were, were in favor of death, why did he raise Lazarus from the death? Why, why did he rise him up? Why did he raise the daughter up? Like, why did he go in? If death was the answer for healing, 
why did Jesus heal people who were dead and resurrect them? That would be against where he was. But the world is, is going that way at the moment. It's like, oh, but, and then if God killed my son, why would he now heal my bad, you know, my, my wife's cancer? It's all convoluted. It's all mixed. That's why, see, God is absolute. And there's only one way of knowing the absolute. And I, I found that, and it's through the Bible. And going back to the Garden of Eden, you see this is what God intended for mankind. You know, we, Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree and then the fall of man. And then you can see the progression and the effect of sin. And then, like you said, when you look at the life of Jesus and you see what he was doing, and it says in Colossians, he's the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus even shows us who God the Father is. And he was always going around healing people. One of the biggest things I see with believers that they struggle with is the mind. I have experienced that. And I, for a long time, I didn't even know it was like the devil or it was demonic. And you almost think these are my own thoughts and then you get tormented. Thank goodness God showed me later on. But for people who are struggling with their thoughts and the enemy is trying to make them feel shame or guilt, or really this is a big one, trying to lie to them what what is the best defense and how do you handle that situation well for me because after i i got saved and then the devil constantly would try and throw thoughts at me and evil thoughts and those types of things to create fear he always wants to create fear where god wants to create love and faith um for me i just had to i always have to find a scripture because if i find a scripture then i know it's real and it'll work so i had to find that scripture that was in corinthians i think it's in second corinthians where it talks about take every thought captive but it doesn't mean just captive, like say a prisoner of war. It means, and then it make it obedient to Christ. So I, I would get a scripture that would handle that thought, that could battle that thought. And so as soon as the thought would come, I'd physically like kind of grab this and I'd declare that scripture over it. I'd declare it over it and I would declare it over it because I'm trying to make that thought obedient to Christ. Sometimes I'd have to do it all day, other times, but eventually it would wean away and he'd be gone. Now I know there's other techniques of binding and loosening. I understand that. But I also had to spend, this is again for me, for the Holy Spirit, because I had a relationship with him. I needed to spend time praying in the holy language for me because that builds up. The scripture told me it would build up my inner man. I want to be built up so that he doesn't, I don't open a door and he affects me here. I need to be built up in my spirit so that I'm able to do what the Bible says, resist the devil, and then he flees. Now, it's not by my strength. It's by a scripture. It's by declaration. It's by praying. There's things that I was maybe going to have to do that I had so much fear on. I'd pray for half an hour and the fear would go. Or I'd keep praying until the fear would go. And then I could do it. And I did it with confidence, not my strength, but God's confidence. So they're, they're the two major things was that taking every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. And I do that by a scripture. And then the other way was by in the Holy Spirit and praying in the holy language. He just built me up. So that when, and then having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I would go, is that you? Is that the enemy? Is that me? And then and then I'm able to start to learn to discern. I have heard so many people talk about the battle of the mind, but I've never heard those two answers and given in conjunction. But you're right. The Bible does say that praying in the Spirit builds you up to receive. So yoga on trial, chapter 14. I love that you talked about this. And it wasn't until your book that now I know why it's so bad because I had so many friends doing it and I would say, you know, I just don't think that's good. And they're like, mm, it's okay. I don't, I don't feel bad about it. it. It helps me. And I, I do know people that would say, oh, I see a physical benefit. But speak to 
yoga and the strategy of it coming to the U.S. and the deception behind it? Okay, first of all, just so you know, I'm not speaking as a Christian that studied yoga. I'm someone who is a, I was a master Hatha yoga teacher. So I reached master status. I knew everything about yoga. My kids joke about it even now. They go, Dad, how could you have gotten those positions? I was a master of them. So I know all the spiritual sides of it. And yes, I was in the new age part. However, in some of our meetings, here's the other thing about these strategic meetings and the secret ones. We actually discussed that we needed to, again, wean the Christians and the public. How, how do we do that? Well, the faith that we followed was Hindu. So we did yoga. Now, why did we do yoga? We did yoga to connect to the Hindu gods, to the Hindu lords. And the way that we did that is yoga in the ancient scripts was designed so that every single position you give authority for that demon to come in or lord, demonic lord of Hindu, come into the, your body in that position. So by people go, oh, but I don't really, it doesn't matter. Well, it does because according to the spiritual realm, it matters. Now, you, if you think you're more powerful than some demonic demon, go, fine. That's okay if you think you can do that. But according to them and in India today, they still follow it. They still follow the demonic practices of it. So yoga, every single position, and that's why we spent a lot of time putting that in the book. We weren't going to, but uh, so many people from around the world said, you've got to put it in, you've got to put it in, because it's not just you're writing about it. You actually were that person. So then come forward to the meetings. What's, what, what better thing than to spread across the whole Christianity and everywhere else in the world but the techniques that we use to connect to the Lord's? So if we can get people deceptively doing the positions and doing yoga, then you've got automatic demonic influence happening over all those people at some point. That's number one. So we thought if we can wean it, and we knew it could take 20 or 30 years to do it, and we were successful, unfortunately, and I repented of it, but my plans and things that we all put into place as an organization worked. Yoga is everywhere, and Christians are doing it. Now, on top of that, I have sometimes have Christians will say to me, but if I'm thinking upon Jesus while I'm doing it, it'll be okay. Um, maybe, maybe not, but I went to the Lord, and this is the answer he gave me. He said, when I got married, I entered a covenant with my wife. The same as I, when I became a Christian, I entered a covenant. I went on to the other side of the cross by, through the blood. That's how I became covenant. But the covenant with my wife, before I married her, I, would, I dated women, and I could do that. I could date women. I could... You know, I could maybe get engaged to one, whatever. But that's what I did before I went. When I got married, I went through a covenant. So saying, oh, I can go and do yoga and just think upon Jesus would be exactly the same as if I right now said to my wife, hey, babe, I'm just going to go next door. I'm going to sleep with a woman next door, but I'm going to think about you while I'm doing it. It's horrendous to think that. It's spiritual adultery. But that's exactly what they're doing, unfortunately. They're actually going back beyond the blood, back beyond the cross and doing a spiritual practice that God warns people not to do. And so by their will of doing the positions, they're opening up for it. And yet it's been a strategy that was planned that way for that same reason, for that to happen. Even the people that were bringing it into the West around the 19th, beginning of the 19th century even wrote books warning people of strokes, eczema, heart attacks, nervous attacks, psychotic attacks coming from the awakening of through yoga. I love that you called it spiritual adultery. I think the one of the big deceptions behind yoga 
is that it's marketed as like a workout that's like peaceful. But yoga was never intended to be a workout. It was, it's worship, like you said, and it's purposely to yoke yourself with these Hindu gods. And so it's a pagan, you know, you could say witchcraft. I mean, any, I mean, like you said, it's leaving, it's turning away from God. You said it best, spiritual adultery. So yoga was not, was not created to be a workout. Never, never at all. It still exists in the ancient Hindu texts and scriptures and the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads. It's a spiritual practice to invoke a God or a Lord into you. It's not. It's, it, look, and if you're going, if you're just simply going to, to do stretches, find a place that just does stretches, nothing else. Yeah, and it's kind of like you wouldn't go out and say, like as a Christian, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to go do like a seance or I'm going to do something like evil, like that's spiritual. But people think they're when they're going to work yoga, they're like, well, I'm just going to work out. But it was never designed. And see, you just connected that for me. I It was always presented to me, this is a workout. That's from India. It was, never it was a workout. It's a spiritual practice and that's why there you like you said you can't go and just think about Jesus because you can't redeem something that was intended for the devil. You know, I have people come to me and go, but there's a thing called holy yoga or that's what's up and I'm like, I, I've already had people that have gone through those courses on purpose and basically given me the information. Every bit of the course is all Hindu. It's all Hindu. It's exactly what I would have taught 20, 30 years ago. It's all Hinduism but then they all add a scripture. Or it's all Hinduism and they'll add a scripture. So even the yoga and holy yoga is teaching people still the Hinduistic belief, but they'll add a scripture. Um, you can't, you know, they, they talk about you can't put lipstick on a pig. Yoga is wrong and you can't, no matter what you try and do, you can't change it. Just to tap on one thing, I know someone that says, oh, well, it's the only thing that can help me physically. But thinking about it, if it's a spiritual practice, don't you think in the long run there would even be physical ramifications to doing it and you were you were actually speaking about that yeah i i've talked to so many people every week that have problems and anxiety problems depression have all that stuff and i'll ask you yoga yeah but there's nothing wrong with yoga or i don't want to give up yoga because it helps my back and i go have you ever been to a gym gym will do stretch classes in the morning or in the afternoon they're just stretch classes go and do that if anyone i call it agitated denial if they start getting mad at me they're, they're already oppressed. They're already trying. There's already something got them that's hanging on to that thing. You say in chapter 15, you talk about the gods of yoga. I think that's important. Like you were saying, each position that's given is dedicated to these different Hindu gods, including Kali, who is terrifying. If you would Google her right now, she is really scary looking. You would not want to be doing anything for her or to her. Can you speak about that? That's the thing. And if you go to the true source, in India, some of the temples and the way that represent Kali is horrific and not just child sacrifice, but animal sacrifice and prostitution, all sorts of stuff that happens. It's, it's horrible. But the interesting thing is they don't mind that because that's their country. That's who they are. That's what they do. That's, you know, that's their belief system. So they do that. But to have, but to have it in the West is like, but Kali, I only found this out recently. But I don't know. I don't know when it was. I don't know if it was five years ago or ten years ago. I need to dig a bit more in the research. But New New York put the picture of Carly up on the Empire State Building for a week or two weeks, celebrating. And I'm like, what? I know why they did it, but it's like, and yeah. And if you Google it, that's fine. But be warned when you Google, the Carly is a pretty horrific, destroying god. You know, one of the things I wanted to say about yoga. 
was I actually saw your interview with Sid Roth and you were talking about it. And that was like one of those moments. I was like, okay, finally, I've heard from someone. He was actually in these secret meetings. He knows the, the true intentions behind yoga. It's just not some nice little workout where you stretch and you breathe and you meditate. But I actually found um, on, I think on Amazon, I wasn't even trying to find it. This was another thing that was just kind of like the nail in the coffin was Aleister Crawley, who was one of the, probably the most public theosophers, occultists, Satanists, whatever word, they use, use a lot of different words to describe him, but very evil, evil man that practiced black magic. And he did like seven lectures and they've published it into a book where it talks about, he advocates for yoga. And one of the things he says is he says, you know, yoga is really good because it actually helps teach you to channel and to do all these different things so that you can do like black magic. I mean, how much more evidence do you need that it's not a good idea? Because it is, that's what, that's, but it's a deception. And people, you remember we talked earlier about soul, people are following by their soul. So if they feel better in yoga or they feel better with something or they feel a bit of power, that if they're discerning from their soul they're, and they're hungry in their spirit, they'll go to their soul. This interview with Alan Strudwick has been eye-opening, to say the least. We have one final part left. Make sure to check it out. And if you haven't seen parts one and two, you can catch those as well. You can also follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Lamb Wines.